Hello, everybody. Welcome to TSC Talks, the podcast inspired by the condition known as tuberous sclerosis complex. My name is Jill Woodworth, and I am your host. Today on the podcast, we have women in weed, businesses, all female and owned and operated. So the people that are on this episode, I have so much respect for. We've interviewed so many women throughout the industry. We've included others in other compilation podcasts and just can't speak highly enough about these ladies and all the ladies that we've talked to out there doing this work and spreading the new good news of cannabis and overcoming stigma and helping to change the world. So we have up Tiffany Watkins. She is the owner um, of Vanguard Media as well as being Lady Canna. We also have Danielle Benea. She is a pharmacist at The Botanist, which is a local uh, store in the Massachusetts area. However, her insight as a pharmacist in the dispensary is really great. We also have Danny jo, Danielle Joe McQueen of Old Man Goodies, which is a cannabis uh, platform store in Maine, who has a really inspiring story. You really got to listen to her full podcast. And also we have the Canna Moms, Amy Searles and Joyce Gerber. This was back about a year ago when they were both together. Now it's just Joyce Gerber. However, I included the clip from Amy because she is part of the story. And we wrap it up with Ruth Fisher, who's the author of the Medical Cannabis Primer, which is definitely one book you want on your bookshelf if you're in the industry, chock full of information. She is a PhD researcher, analyst, um, and she just gives us a short clip at the end. Anyways, thanks everybody for being a part of this. Even if you don't know you're a part of it, we love you and take it away, women in weed. I am a wife and I'm a mom and I enjoy that very much. So I have two kids, uh, both teenagers, ugh, but um, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I hear you on that. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I, I have a long history in cannabis uh, for a multitude of reasons. I probably got most passionate about it right around the age of, of 20. So that was in the early, early 90s, uh, around 1992. And by 94, I was working kind of like a part-time, just volunteer just putting together flyers and putting together literature to help spread the word about how cannabis could help. We were very grassroots at that time as uh, Compassionate Care was trying to be passed uh, in the state of California. And we really just did everything that we could. We would hold rallies at the Capitol, get asked to leave. And yeah, it it just, it was always a very friendly environment, but that was kind of how I cut my teeth. It was just with a lot of opposition to cannabis, a lot of stigma. And the approach was just kind of the kill them with kindness. We give information, we peacefully gather and it you know, was an effort all over the place in, multi- in multiple states, but with all of our voices acting together, we were able to, to effect change. I think that is really what steamrolled me into knowing okay. that if we can all band together, then we can really make changes where we want to. Awesome. This isn't on the list, but what drew you to cannabis? Was it your own personal experience and, or was it just feeling like people should have access and it's not a dangerous drug or I, yeah. 
Well, what drew me in was um, during that time in the in the early 90s, mm-hmm. there were, you know, we were re- really coming off the, the, the scare of the 80s with HIV uh-huh. and AIDS. And there were plenty of my friends that, that touched their lives. They either had a family okay. member or it was themselves. And at that time, they were noticing that cannabis was very helpful in aiding from some of the very heavy medications that mm-hmm. they were on to try to, to um, help with the HIV and, and some sometimes full-blown AIDS uh, to, to stave away the wasting away and such that they were using cannabis to increase appetite and lift mood and just have a better quality of life. They were treated like criminals. Yeah, and- so that, that's what I want. I was trying to make that connection. I figured it's usually something like that that people just can't turn away. Right. Yeah. That's exactly it. It's hard to look away from that. When you say, here's a person just trying to help themselves, they want to be able to spend more time with their families. They have a limited amount of time. They have got an expiration tag on their toe and they would like to have a better quality of life with their families and friends. Mm-hmm. And here they are being treated like a, like a common criminal for doing something that affects only them. It doesn't, if they're in their home and they're in, enjoying cannabis, uh, whether it be edibles or smoking, mm-hmm. they were being treated like they were doing something wrong. And it just wasn't okay. a fair shot. People, they needed a voice. We were there to give a voice to people when they couldn't use, have their own voice. And that was through the Compassionate Care Program. You're in Oregon? Yes, I'm in Oregon, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in Washington and um, I work in Washington, Oregon. I am from the state of California. Just trying to get, so yeah, that's pretty early in the, can, in the cannabis movement in the 90s for, for Compassionate Absolutely. Care. So yeah, so Absolutely. from- yeah, so from there, you got started then, and then how, what else happened? How did you get into the, you know, your career, and just kind of give me a timeline. Yeah, absolutely. So after that, uh, you know, I, like I said, I was, I was young. I was in my early 20s. I was a, you know, fresh college student, and I went on, um, and it, at that time, you couldn't, there wasn't really, oh, go build your career in cannabis. We still mm-hmm. operated from the shadows. So there was always some sort of rally that I was attending while, you know, of course, going to college, okay. uh, where I, I pursued a, a career in technology. I worked for years as a network systems engineer, and that was that was my day job. And then, of course, you know, in the shadows, we were all about cannabis. And you know, I started that career young and burnt out on it. I moved into other other fields. I went into the fitness field because I was really interested in, in exercise physiology and things like that. And ultimately landed in distribution sales for agriculture. From that, by that time, uh, it had just, people had really started in the, in the mid, you know, to early 2000s there. It, people had really started opening up about cannabis. And I felt it was a great time to start joining some clubs and just really getting my feet back out there. Um, uh-huh. Not that I really put activism on a, on a hiatus, but it it was a new form of activism at this point. It was really, how is this industry going to affect our community? What can we do to, to keep people understanding and not building the stigma, the us against them type of thing, because it really was going in that direction. And that kind of just opened the door for me to jump right back in. And this time I could make cannabis, not only my career, but still keep it as my passion and to just married well. Recently, Tiffany invited me to a screening of The Women in Weed with the uh, director, uh, Mindy, is it Mindy? Uh, it's Mindy. Wendy. Wendy. Wendy Borman. Wendy yeah, Borman. Mary Jane's The Women of Weed. Yeah, directed um, and completely done by Wendy Borman. That was awesome oh. and so inspiring. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, 
Yeah, that was a really unique, I found that to be like a unique type of, I don't know whether it was a marketing or just like a, uh, like a publicity um, fun thing to do, but I thought it was great. Well, I'll tell you this. I, the reason why I did it uh, was because I'm in full support of women in, in the cannabis space. And more importantly, I saw the film the first time I was invited by a women's group uh, in Sacramento, California, mm-hmm. to see it at the Crest Theater, and it was wonderful. They created such a beautiful environment, and um, you know, with COVID nineteen, I know that you know certain changes had to be made. I was talking to Wendy, and uh, she said that she would be doing uh, virtual screens, and I knew I wanted to be on board, bring this to more people, and those of us who just wanted to see it again because it was just it was it was uh, such a, a great a great snapshot. Uh, we can where we can be where we've come from as women in space yep. and some of the challenges um, that we have. It's just a great sh- uh, snapshot, and it, it 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 bears being over and over again, especially if we can reach new audiences. So it wasn't really marketing. It wasn't uh, for publicity. It really was just because it strengthens the message that women hold space in and we need to recognize it right so you know i'm glad that you and lisa were able to to come and actually uh you know get a chance to talk to the director because she is she is um wonderful she puts she's been doing film forever and she does a great job so i'm glad you were able to come and, and visit with us you know it was, yeah. I felt honored to be there, and you know, as Lisa and I are pretty new into the industry, to just get a little bit of that feel for where where women, in particular, have kind of entered entered in the history of it. It's, I yeah, I want to see it again. So you're really immersed in women's activism in the industry and tell me about vanguard media because you're lady canna so how did you kind of move merge it into or expand expand that sure it, it just really it kind of it kind of expanded itself the idea needed to be more broad and i knew that i was speaking you had speaking engagements up, up and down the West Coast, but I also had interest, just word of mouth in my own uh, personal network in other areas. And so I kept thinking, how can I do this? You know, and I thought, well, let's do the event circuit. And, uh-huh. you know, and, uh-huh. which is fine. But then COVID-19 hit. And I was like, well, this has got to be redesigned. You know, the model was completely different. I'm 100% honest and transparent. The model was completely different before uh, January 2020. Wow. And uh, here, are, you know, we're in September, approaching uh, the end of 2020, and I couldn't be here with that the pivot that I had to make didn't affect this movement one bit. It was really to be more of event-based, partnering with large companies to put on educational events and have these live panels of these women of what I wanted to showcase in every state. So I find, I found a way to consolidate that idea down and still spread their same exact stories, but through an online format and a magazine. And so with expanding into the magazine and online format, I have been able to still share the stories, connect with the same exact woman I would, have, I would have connected with anyway. And it's really been great. You know, and I have stories from all over the country, which is 
I, I love, we need to get these women's voices out there. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's what I say. It's a, that's, that's what we, that is what we are, are putting out there because it deserves to go out. We need to know your experience as a woman in this industry. Up next is Danielle McQueen of Only in Goodies. Check it out. Love your business. I mean, how, what's your main, is it edible products? I mean, I well, just, we do um, the teas. Of course, I started off with okay. just one tea and we do make free teas now in hot cocoa, but we put them in these brew in the bags. Like, so like put the water inside, let it oh. brew. And then next thing you know, you just undo the cap. And your wow. tea comes out. So it's like a, like your own little teapot on the go. That's so cool. Yeah, we do three blends. We also do a hot chocolate. So those are our main products. But when Corona started, right before that, I had started, we had a lot of elderly patients that hadn't been able to get out anymore. Mm-hmm. So one time, like, they, like, why can't you just send it to my house? Sometimes I can just order snacks off Amazon. They come in a box. Mm-hmm. And I started to laugh. But then my sister says to me, can't you just make me stuff and send it to my house? And I thought, how about you make it yourself? So I gave her an instruction sheet, the molds, and oh, everything. Cool. And I sent her on her way. Well, then I thought, you know what? I would like somebody to send to my house all this stuff. So I'm going to create it myself. I thought, you know, so we started to do subscription boxes. I saw that. Subscription yep. boxes, and it's been a huge hit. I never thought it would be what it is. So I'm really blessed, but, um, there are these boxes that come like this uh-huh. and they say, you're not in wonderland anymore. <laughs> and, um, this box one, let's see what this one is. Okay. So this one's the make your own gummy one. So it like, will come with step one. Oh my gosh. Two, you know, and step three. I'm going to get some. That is and so then, cool. Um, it comes with like your own little mold. And this box came with an apron that says, I like to get high. And then in little letters, quality ingredients at my yeah. farm market. But June boxes are make your own s'mores. Campfire. Get okay. Toast. Boxes. So every month we change the theme and um, next month they'll be able to make their own chocolate bars, but the marshmallows are CBD made and the graham crackers will come already pre-made and they'll make their own chocolates. Okay. So, I mean, it's really, I think it's given the more, the, <laughs> the, the patients that ability of like, I made my own edibles, uh, you know, like that feeling. So blown yeah. away. Yeah, I love it. It's really been a huge, it's been a huge response um, from the community. I didn't think it would be. I really just yeah. kind of I can thought see it why. was going to help a few people. And next thing you know, it was, I was like, what people, I never, when I first, when I got my first 12 year um, subscription plan, I was like, oh, well, doesn't matter if it was just an idea. Cause now, <laughs> now it's saying, <laughs> you don't have a choice, but it's been great. It's it been does. about six months now that we've run them and it's been amazing. So it's definitely a keeper. We'll keep that one, but mainly we do the teas and hot chocolate. And now this up next is Danielle Benea, pharmacist at the botanist, which is a dispensary in Worcester, Massachusetts. So why don't you give me a little bit of information about yourself and yeah, your background. Okay. So I graduated UConn pharmacy school in 2014 uh, with my doctor of pharmacy. And at the wow. time, 
Yeah, five years ago. And and at the time, medical marijuana in my state in Connecticut was just being approved as far as the legislation and whatnot. And Mm -hmm. at the time, a lot of people in the medical community didn't really know what to think about it. We didn't know what they were going to do with it, how they were going to run the program. And so at the time, I never thought I would work in medical cannabis. Uh huh. I graduated and I started working at Stop and Shop Pharmacy, where I'm actually still per diem at times. Okay. Um, so retail pharmacy, and uh, I was very happy with that. And it was what I was doing since I was 16 as a technician. Really? So yeah. So that was my background. Oh, cool. Um, about two years into working. I started feeling like I wanted to maybe explore some other options in pharmacy because as much as I loved what I did, I didn't feel that I had as much patient contact as I would like, which, mm-hmm. you know, you would think would be, you have a lot of, you're standing there the whole day talking to patients, but, you know, sometimes as being the pharmacist, you're in the back, you're doing right. a lot, uh, there's a lot of you're other kind of behind the do. scenes almost, like I, when yeah, I go to pharmacy, yeah. it's the cashiers mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. for the, yeah, the techs and then, yeah, sometimes I wave to the pharmacist. Yeah, so. exactly. And, and so I started feeling like, you know, I really want to be more patient-centered. Uh, so I started looking around, and I had a technician of mine who had left us a little bit before that to go work at Prime Wellness of Connecticut, which is the medical marijuana dispensary okay. in South Windsor. And he said, you know, Danny, I've been talking about you to some of my managers. They might be hiring a new pharmacist soon. Why don't you send me your resume? I think that you'd be a good fit here. So I did, and that's first I really thought about it. So I started huh. doing some research into it, and by that time, the program was up and running for a couple of years. So I put my resume, I went for an interview, and they decided to take me on. And what I really loved about it was how patient-centered it was, because most of our day is meeting with patients, talking really? to patients, whether it be consults or on the phone or through email, um, having them come in, ask questions. So we still do regular day-to-day activities as far as filling you know, the prescriptions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do get that really, really patient-centered one-on-one time. Uh, That's so pretty cool. Now I've been, yeah, so now I've been there for about three years. And in that time, I always maintained my dual licensure. So from the minute I graduated pharmacy school, I was licensed in Massachusetts and Connecticut. Um, and my company was bought by a bigger company that has dispensaries in different states. And so okay. when the botanist opened in Massachusetts. That is our sister company. Oh, okay. and, yeah, being licensed in Mass, they decided to maybe see you know how I could be helpful up there. The difference between Massachusetts and Connecticut is that pharmacists aren't technically part of the regulations in Massachusetts like they are in Connecticut. Okay. By the way, our program works in Connecticut. Is yeah, we have to have pharmacists that work at the dispensary because it uh, makes our sense. state yeah our state classified it as a controlled substance category two, which means it has to be dispensed by a pharmacist. Okay. So that's sort of where, where that came from. Um, but just the fact that we have pharmacists really made it, it was a great tool because patients do have questions. They have questions Absolutely. about medication interactions or, and a lot of times, you know, the doctors will then ask us or, and just having us accessible to the patients right away was very beneficial. So my company thought, well, you know, it works in Connecticut. Why don't we offer that service in Massachusetts and Mm -hmm. see how it goes and see how it's received. And I started doing a couple events there, really trying to get the patient feedback on it. And everyone was very excited and and they were very intrigued. What did you do at the event? What was that? Um, One of the first ones I did was uh, for the grand opening of the botanist, actually. Um, They had me there and I was standing there. We had a terpene bar, so we were teaching people about terpenes as they were coming in. 
Um, and then I was just asking patients, how would you feel about having a pharmacist here okay. and being able to get some of your questions answered? And a lot of people were, were very, a lot of positive feedback. I so over time, I've been going there more and more. And now I'm there consistently every Thursday in-house. Okay. And then besides that, I do outreach events uh, with our outreach coordinator, Ross. And, you know, when there's like a Canacon or an expo, I'll go, I'll be at the table with him and I can talk to patients there and then just spread information. And then we also do presentations. So we did a senior center presentation in Sterling a couple weeks ago where it's like a information session. Yeah. So we do that. And and the feedback from those is quite amazing. The first one we went to, you know, we didn't know how popular it was going to be. We thought it might be 10 to 15 Uh people, more of a roundtable discussion. And I show up and there's 60 people sitting there waiting for us to present. Yes, so that was was definitely interesting. Um, It's given me an opportunity to work on some public speaking skill Mm sets. That's always been something I've always been a little... A little nervous about, so it's well, yeah. Uh, yeah, it gives me an opportunity to do that, and it's been very exciting. And so that's how I okay. ended up at, you know, up in Massachusetts helping as a botanist, and um, it's just been growing since. We have a lot of presentations we want to do, and opportunities like this, you know, people people want to know information, and that's why we're there. We're there to give it out and, and help help people find the right information and see how it might be fitting for them or certain disease states or certain medications. And, right. Uh, what I've seen, I mean, it's it's definitely been helpful for a plethora of conditions. Yeah. And it's amazing to see some of the positive changes that I've seen in some of my patients that I work really? closely with. So mm-hmm. you can see the change. That, yeah, that's got to be um, rewarding, especially. Yeah, to, I guess I didn't think about the fact that, you know, in a regular pharmacy, you're like two steps removed and you're really getting some like personal individualized interaction, which I think. You know, in my opinion, is what really what's needed overall, but um, particularly mm-hmm. with something like cannabis, because there's just so many variables that people don't understand and so much we still don't know. So that's what also makes it challenging. Yeah. Um, it's not like regular medicine and practices that have already been established as uh-huh. a standard of care don't include cannabis because right. there's not a lot of research. Um, it's been federally illegal, illegal. for a while. Yeah. So not having those evidence-based facts does make it very challenging. I, I think it's also exciting because we really are on the forefront of maybe setting those standards of mm-hmm. care. But there is a lot of variables, and, and that's definitely why at least having, you know, health professionals to be able to help patients navigate those variables, uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. how it could be useful for them as an individual or even how to use it. There's you know, four to five different ways to use it. And it might not always be appropriate for every patient. And so being able to help them, um, one of my most rewarding instances too, um, so in Connecticut we do help pediatric patients too with seizures. And, and, oh, and, they have and, a seizure protocol. That's, yeah, that's and, and so and, yeah, and it's on. interesting because every child is different too. Um, mm-hmm. So there are things that... We're all just so different patient, and we've extrapolated Treatments that I really think need overall individualized. That's kind of my yes. soapbox. And um, things come up to factors that you that True. you don't don't know. Don't I mean, expect. I had um, one, yeah, one patient who um, you know we mostly use CBD, and and for some reason this patient CBD exacerbated the seizures. Uh huh. So that happened to my daughter. Yep. And <sighs> so we actually switched to THCA. Uh, THCA, yep. uh, and and that helped her. It's just very interesting, and and some of those 
some conditions we can help track symptoms, so like seizures, so we can monitor what right, kind of seizures right. are they having. Are they going down? What's going on? Some conditions are a little bit more challenging mm-hmm. with measuring symptoms. Um, pain is something that is not technically a measure that you can use. Um, okay. It's very subjective as well. You know, yeah. PTSD symptoms. You know, there's a, there's a lot of different things. And so being able to just observe and collect data and just really try to, to use the patterns that I've seen to try to help other people is really kind of where we're, where we're at right now. I'm hoping that in time things can be more established. Um, uh-huh. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's difficult though because it is a plant, so things are not across the board. Every batch might be slightly different. Every, you know, so right. there's a lot of different. a lot of things mm. that go into it, and I think it gets such a bad rap, but um, I think it's just really misunderstood, and I think it's scary for. Well, this is what I think, and you can jump in and correct me, but like for doctors, it's got to be scary because there's really no, uh, there's not a lot of absolutes. So you're kind of flying blind, like you were saying, you know, there's no protocol for you for as pharmacists necessarily to standards of care or anything. So you're kind of really are like right on trailblazing with this, what you're doing. I think I love it. I love hearing about this. Up next is Joyce Gerber, the Canna Mom Show. Take it away, Joyce. So I always say my story is a little different than the women who tend to get into this, I've noticed, just from doing all these interviews. So those stories tend to be someone with an illness, as you probably uh-huh. observe, uh-huh. or a child with an illness, like you've observed, and then they go down that medication route. Yep. And then uh, they discover cannabis, right, on their own, and then seem to be using it, you know, themselves as guinea pigs, which is not my story in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Good. I, you know, I like to I like to hear a range, you know. Yes. So yeah. uh, my story is really, I'm a lawyer. Uh, my son is going to be 21 next week. Congratulations. And, uh, thank you. My greatest accomplishment is that he was with me during law school pregnant. and that. Oh, <laughs> I, my goodness. I, I took the bar pregnant and passed the first time. I proved that a woman's uterus and brain can work simultaneously. Yeah. Then when I actually have the baby and pass the bar, then that whole juggling profession mom thing, really, mm-hmm. wow, that was hard. <laughs> yeah. So I had the, I had Josh. Couldn't mm-hmm. know how to get a job. I was juggling that whole thing of you get daycare and then get a job. You, you know, it's exorbitantly expensive. How many hours do I want to work? I did have a baby. I might like to see him once right. in a while. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. It's it's hard. Uh, so my husband and I made the financial decision that I would do that tradition. I was 34. Never mm-hmm. thought that would be me. I always said I would never be a stay-at-home mom in the suburbs. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, <laughs> never say those things. <laughs> never say never. I know. Uh, so we were living in Cambridge, so I technically wasn't in the suburbs, but was you know I was that stay home mom. I had another baby, and then when my daughter was two, I decided it was time that I wanted to get back into the professional world and did all those things. I say I'm, a, I'm basically a professional relauncher. Okay. I keep, I keep relaunching my career. So <laughs> I go back, and there's a whole army of women like me. That's the thing about this. You know, we all went and got our education. I'm 54. And yeah, I can relate. Hard. Yeah, it's hard to have children. They're a lot of work. Yeah, and no one really tells you that, that yeah. it's like you're in it for the whole thing. It's not like you can just put it down and walk back into your life. And you don't even know if you're doing a good job. That's the hard part. Oh, <laughs> man, yeah. Anyway, so, you know, I was in and out of work. I was a family law attorney. I used to say I was terrible at it. I actually got fired. Wow. <laughs> 
that was sort of another, it was sort of at the end of like a long series of bad things happening, basically the worst of which my husband and I both went to work one day and left uh-huh. the kids at home. Uh-huh. <laughs> and every time I tell that story, people are like, oh yeah, we did that. Or I did that. Or You, you know, mean like, you, you forgot to. I left for work. My husband left for work. <laughs> <laughs> That's a classic story. They were, they were babies. They were seven and nine, but they were sort of confused. They're like, where is everybody? Oh my gosh. So that was sort of a turning point in my career when I was like, well, uh-huh. I kind of have to take care of them. So that was sort of like the, the fallback. And then I ended up getting fired. And then I just got to be that mom, the one who got really involved. I got so involved. I ran for school committee. Wow. Twice. And I have a good story for that, too. I had an 11-year-old boy with my campaign manager. I was actually a pretty good candidate, but Cambridge politics are hard. I can only imagine. Yeah. So that didn't work out. And then I've been kind of in and out. I was doing some writing. I uh-huh. just, you know, I, it's, I'm an overeducated woman. And the hard part about getting a job when you have a law degree or another advanced degree and you don't want to be that anymore is you can't take it off your resume because it looks like you didn't work, right? Right. And then you apply for other jobs and they can't understand why you'd want them. I get that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and I ended up getting a friend of mine. Her dad had this the housing relocation company. I, I have a background in affordable housing development. Oh, okay. I Interesting. Doing, yeah, I was doing some project management. Based, I used to call it, it was like a, a board game, basically. We were moving residents in and out of their units while their units got renovated and then oh. working to get them back in. It was just a lot of... Uh, no, it was, a, it was a good project. Well, details. I'm good with that. And oh, yeah. that's what I'm good at. I create order out of chaos. That's my greatest skill. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm the opposite. <laughs> I create chaos and I have other people help me create order. There you go. Everyone, exactly. We need like, the yin and yang of life. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so then I was uh, at the contract position. Then there's a change in management. And this is 2016. Mm-hmm. And I realized they're going to outsource me, that I was going to lose that job. And I was very upset. Yeah. Sort of simultaneously, 2016, um, my husband and I went to Denver, uh-huh. and we did a great tour, a legal tour with a woman named Goldie Solidar from City Sessions, who took us on a private tour of the cannabis industry, and it blew my mind. I had no idea. We went to a dispensary. We went to a grow facility. It, just how normal it was, because it was not normal here in any way, shape, and form in 2016. No. So that sort of opened my eyes. Then. 2017, I'd lost my job. Mm-hmm. Um, I was having a really hard time getting another job. I went into career therapy. Wow. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. It was just, you know, structural. That, you know, it wasn't just right. me. It wasn't personal. Right. Oh. Um, and then uh, kind of had this idea. I'm like, well, cannabis is new. Like, how often do you get to be part of something new, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm a lawyer. I started learning the regs. I started going to meetings. I went to, like, Women Who Grow and Elevate. And just the first time I heard the endocannabinoids, system. I thought someone was lying. Really? You know, all the things I didn't know, I learned the history. I have no idea. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Uh-huh. But, you know, cannabis can make you one. Yes, it can. And in 2018, I still didn't know where I'd fit in. Like, I realized that all the law firms in Boston now have cannabis divisions, but I wasn't quite up to speed on it yet. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel. But that's also a woman thing. Like, we feel like we have to be perfect before we jump in. Uh, yeah. Whatever. We'll that's a whole other show. <laughs> We were talking about having more content. So my show literally came out of me and a friend talking about how do you talk to your kids about cannabis? Okay. Uh, my children are 18 and 21 now. They're a little bit younger. Yeah. So they're about 17, 20. We we're talking about it. Her kids were younger, like nine, 11, 13, something. Mm-hmm. And that was the first show. And I thought we were going to do it as a co-host sort of situation. Okay. But there's this funny divide in the cannabis world between CBD and cannabis. Yeah. 
I'm learning yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she, she's testing products. She didn't really want to be connected to cannabis. And so this sort of ended up being my show. And it just really started with me finding friends on the street. Like, honest to God, I'd be like, <laughs> on the image. I hear you. I'd be like, we'd be on my podcast. Yeah. I'm like, I have a friend who wrote a book about the Beatles. And she was like, oh, yeah, they were into cannabis. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> uh, That's great. That's how it started. And I just, you know, I've been doing, you know, I'm sure what you're doing. I do a lot of networking. I go to a lot of events. We were at Nikin, you know. And I, uh-huh. So I'm Amy's, Amy, who hasn't talked yet, is really working on my social media campaign. Uh-huh. You know, cannabis across the world. Literally. Yeah. So it's sort of flourishing. People are reaching out to me. And now I have, uh, so basically we're, the goal is a show a week, which we are scheduled out. I have guests lined up for the December. Nice. Um, I think this is a bottomless pit of discussion. I say it covers everything from cosmetics to criminal justice to climate change. I have a woman coming on uh, who's going to have a special. We're going to do once a month on climate change and cannabis. Really? That's great. I just, these are interesting stories that need to be heard. I, we're in an, you know this, we're in an anomaly in history. This is a hundred years of weirdness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so anyway, so that's sort of my, so my story is sort of backwards. I um, am a natural fighter. I say that I'm an attorney. You know, they teach us to fight. I'm an mm-hmm. advocate. I see this as this sort of amazing world. Um, my mother is still a little concerned about me. <laughs> yep, mine is too. You know, yeah. I've, I've normalized it. I will say I've, I've normalized it in my house when we came home. In 2016, when my husband and I came home from Denver, my son was 16, I think. And we sat him down and said, okay, everything we knew was wrong. Like, seriously wrong. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about this in a new way. And I, I, I've normalized it. And um, this is true. I'm Jewish. And at Rosh Hashanah, we hosted uh, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We had a bar. And we had a cannabis bar. Oh, Beautiful. <laughs> Nope, nobody could sue, but it was there. <laughs> so it was like this is just part of my life now, and this is and I and I always say I I don't have tattoos. I wear pearls. I play tennis. This is not my normal habitat, but I am so amazed and excited to be part of something new like this. Oh, yeah, so I that, love it. That, that's my story. <laughs> that's a great. And um, I read your article on LinkedIn. I was like moved to tears. I just, oh, yeah, is that, you know, even though I didn't have the same experience, kind of a similar uh, being really like all of a sudden my eyes are opened and I do not feel ashamed or guilty about something that's helping me and I am not going to be quiet. So yeah, I'm not going to be quiet. Yeah, I believe that's a good motto. Maybe we'll, those will be t-shirts. I'm <laughs> <laughs> writing it down. Oh, jeez. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Great story. Now, Amy, do you want to tell me your story as well? I'd love to hear that. And just so you know, Amy and I have known each other. Um, Amy was my younger brother's college girlfriend. That's what Okay. <laughs> nice. So that's a nice connection. It is a great connection. She's my Canisys. That's right. Canisys. Canisys. Yeah. Okay, so this is Amy Searles. She was working with Joyce Gerber on the Canamom show. She's no longer working with Joyce, but they are still close, and I'm sharing this clip. I mean, my story's not as extensive and interesting as Joyce's. I've just always loved weed uh-huh. um, from the first time that I smoked it, <laughs> from the first toke back in high school, you know, in the, uh-huh. early, in the early 80s. Yep. And, yeah, I've just been smoking it on and off, you know, there have been periods where I've taken big breaks mm-hmm. and then I've jumped back on and then taken more breaks, but it just really helps getting through 
life and the day. It helps me to enjoy the moment. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Stay positive. Stay present. Agreed. And yeah, just just that alone. I feel like I am a better mom. Oh yeah, I that, that hands is- down. So you know that kind of segues, and you both can talk about like how, what have have you personally faced? You know, it sounds like you've got a really supportive community, but getting to that point, and even you know, as you have done this podcast, have you had any stigma, backlash? For the most part, no. No. Okay. The older generation will sometimes laugh when I tell them what I'm doing. I was at a shiva, a funeral, I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. a month ago. With um, My mom was there. And she, she always, when people ask me what I'm doing and she's sitting next to me, she always says, give me that kind of funny look. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Everybody, but the, the truth is, everybody has a cannabis story, you know? Mm-hmm. Even I, so I'm very active in my temple. And in our sisterhood, I'm going to do, um, I'm having a doctor come in and we're going to do a talk. On cannabis for our, like, Friday night Shabbat pre-service. Oh, that's great. You know, these are older women, a little bit older than me, and we are the fastest-growing population of users. And I heard your other interview with the Cannamama, the, um, the nurse. Uh-huh. Yeah, Jesse. Right. Jesse, if, you know, these products are tricky because they aren't regulated enough. And if yeah. you start making products that aren't good, you think it doesn't work. Right. And it's just, that's the unfortunate part. You know? So, you know, it's a, again, it's education, which seems sort of boring, but just, Getting the message out consistently, I think that's what we're hoping right. to do. And, you know, getting out in a mature way. I, I like to say I'm the Terry Gross of cannabis. I love that. Okay. <laughs> Terry Gross. Love her. Yeah. We're not consuming. We're not joking. We know what we're talking about serious stories. Yeah. And someone called us the click and clack oh, yeah. of <laughs> cannabis. Oh, Did they? Oh, you got to. Oh, that's good. That's like people are listening. But, you know, no, again, so it, needs to be, it needs to be educational and accessible. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. people, it's hard to shift people's belief system. Positive. It really is. And, you know, like that mentality of it be, you know, and I find myself, I'm baked or I'm a stoner, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. I try to, like, change that language. I do, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like the stoner language. Yeah, every now and then I do it. But, yeah, it kind of, because then it, it just feeds into that kind of mentality. The, neg- the negative stigma. Negative but stigma. Some of people have been very positive and That's good. Know, there is some education around, like, the endocannabinoid system. My friends still get want to equate alcohol and opiates with cannabis, which frustrates me. Yeah. I'm trying to do a little bit of that education. Next up is a short clip from Ruth Fisher. She is a researcher and analyst, PhD, and author of the Medical Cannabis Primer. So the bad news is is it's really complicated, and anyone who's trying to figure this out is going to get lost really quickly. And the more I know, the less I feel I understand. Yeah. And... The good news is is they're learning so much and they're learning how different combinations can do these amazing things. And as they learn, they're discovering new cannabinoids all the time and they're discovering new terpenes and they're discovering new ways that combinations of cannabinoids and terpenes can help. So I think in the future that the applications of cannabis and different profiles of compounds and the applications to all the different medical conditions, I think it's going to mushroom. Do you? I do. I think it's going to take them a long time to figure it all out. Mm-hmm. But I think the potential is really amazing. And all the people who think that it's just total crap and people just want to get high. Well, yeah, some people want to get high, but it's not crap. It's doing amazing.
And that is a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in to TSC Talks. We hope you enjoyed that awesome podcast with women in weed. Check out our website, tsctalks.com, and tune in for more here. And that's the end. I'm going to stop talking. Play you out with the music. <laughs>